at the podcast where we review books. Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult. This is a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, discuss young adult fiction from our past, present, and future. Got that good dystopian post-apocalyptic fiction. Yeah, we haven't done a post-apocalyptic fiction yet, and it's because I can't say the word apocalyptic Or dystopian. I can say dystopian. Okay. I just um, can't say apocalyptic. Day. And therefore we can never do a book of that genre. I was talking to a genuine teenager, genuine young adult recently at a family gathering. And he was exactly the kind of teenager who was like, have you read 1984? This great book I've just found. And I was like, yes, oh my God, it's so good. It's such a great foil for like Bright New World and like Fahrenheit 451, you know, like the different types of dystopias. And he was like, I've never heard of those books. Oh, I have a lot Brave of New feelings World. about Brave New World versus 1984. And it's mostly that I feel like Brave New World is a better concept, but Huxley is a worse writer. And therefore, if Orwell had written Brave New World, it would be the supreme book. Mostly, I just really, really enjoyed having this conversation with like an intellectual equal who was at the stage of his life where he didn't know what books were popular and what ones weren't. Where there's a very narrow window of human experience where you can be a big fan of 1984 and not aware of Fahrenheit 451. And also not aware that the majority of the English speaking world, particularly in like Ireland and the UK, really knows about 1984. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah my 1984 story is when i was in school and i was the pretentious teen another pretentious teen was talking to me about how he read 1984 and he was disappointed because it didn't have a happy ending and i was like yeah because it's a grown-up book and that's kind of the point like it the the government does run everything and so they decide your story and that's why it's not a happy ending this is vitally important okay did you use the word grown up no i did not use the word grown up (laughs) my favorite thing is when (laughs) i love when teens want to sound grown up and so they say the word grown up and automatically sound 10 No, I was basically just being really pretentious and essentially being like, yeah. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair and it doesn't have a happy ending because it's not a made for teen story. It's for like people who really appreciate the real world. (laughs) No one appreciates the real world. That's why we write books. And also because the real world is the worst. (laughs) True. Okay, so you've had another one of those weeks, huh? (laughs) Every week. In that case... (laughs) Shall we get on with what book we're reading this week? This week I read Okay For Now by Gary D. Schmidt. And the only thing I didn't like about it was its title. Um, I didn't think the title was a good fit for this book. Okay. Mostly because it... For now. <laughs> Go on, for now. <laughs> mostly because like it is, it is kind of a part of the book where he's like, okay, everything is good right now. And then something bad happens. And he's like, okay, everything is good right now. But I was just like, I feel like there could have been better titles, but I didn't, I wasn't the person who got to decide that. And in this moment, I also couldn't tell you a better title. Okay, how about you tell me about the book and then at the end, I'll be like, this is what it should have been called. This is what it should have been called. Okay, so real quick author... Lowdown. Author talk. It's written by Gary D. Schmidt, who is a fairly prolific young adult 
children's author. He was born in 1957 in New York and um, a lot of his books are a little bit biographical mm-hmm. in that he he draws a lot of experience he draws a lot from his own lived experience so so this book is technically a sequel to a different book that he wrote an earlier novel called the wednesday wars in which a boy in that serves detention essentially mm-hmm. every wednesday and his teacher makes him read shakespeare and the boy really hates it and then he begins to love it which parallels um schmidt's own experience of a teacher that like looked out for him and got him to really love reading mm-hmm. um and various other books that he has written also parallel points in his life and the protagonist of this book is like a mentioned character in the Wednesday Wars. Okay, so it's not like a, a pure sequel in that like it follows the same characters afterwards. It's like a background character from book A is the main character in book B. Yeah, it's actually more of a companion novel because okay. you don't need you don't yeah. need both books and also the first thing that Doug in this book does is move home and therefore he's not even in the same location as he was for the previous novel. So where is this book set or do we have more to talk about with Gary D. Schmidt? Um, not really. He's a, he's an award-winning author, fairly prolific. Yeah, he also wrote a book that I read called Orbiting Jupiter, not for the podcast, that I really loved and it made me cry for like longer than I like I finished reading it and I was crying and then like two days later I was just thinking about it and I started crying again which I often cry when reading books because I get really into the characters but it is rare that like days later I would be like oh oh and then cry about the book like out of context yeah like um for an example of how odd that is um we used to live together for several years and I can count the number of times I've seen you cry on like one hand. Yeah, no, I do cry with books though. Yeah. Like I don't cry about my own life. Yeah, no. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so is this book as sad as... This book was not as sad, but it was traumatizing in places. Okay, so I'm bracing myself. So I'm not sure how deeply I'm going to go into that stuff. Because I want to give more of an overview of this book because a, a lot of things happen and not all of it is like super relevant. Okay, so you say his books are mainly autobiographical and that he was born in the 50s. And you also said at the end of our last pod that it kind of tied in because this had something to do with the Vietnam War. So this book is set during the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, Doug, who is our main character, is 14. Mm-hmm. And his eldest brother is in Vietnam for the majority of the book. And then he does come home. Okay, so this is the youngest protagonist we've had since Outsiders. Yeah, because Ponyboy was 14 as well. Yeah. So right at the top, before we actually get into this book, I do want to give a content trigger warning for domestic violence. Um, the father in this book is physically abusive and also a couple of the teachers are... One of the teachers in particular is emotionally abusive um, towards Doug, mostly. And the, the other teachers are just bad teachers, but yeah. one of them in particular is like capital B bad. Yeah, like uh, everything else aside, I would say it's very bad pedagogy <laughs> to try 
traumatized the kids you're teaching. Good good word of the day there, Eva. You studied psychology. We get it. <laughs> I was going to say, I have a psychology degree. We get it. You studied the brain. Okay, I studied the brain and Doug studied in a school where they're very bad. Tell us about the book. Okay, so our main character is Doug and then the characters that we kind of get to know after that are his mom who he loves so much not to say it's not valid like it's probably very very good and valid i feel like that's kind of typical of a situation where there's an abusive parent where the other parent is perfect and beautiful and we love them his mom is just so sweet Mm. um and then we also have his father and we have his brother lucas who is in vietnam and he has another brother who is unnamed for three quarters of the book he only just refers to him as my brother is he like at home or yeah no he they share a room (laughs) holy shit like he is living with this boy and for three quarters of the novel he does not have a name he is simply my brother ah to be 14 like and his his mom and his dad also don't get a name but like in the way where he's just like mom and dad but and my br- but he, yeah my brother he doesn't name him mm. um and his brother is a central character because he is a lot of the book re- revolves around conflicts that Doug is having with the people around him mm-hmm. so there's conflicts with Doug Doug and his father there's conflicts with him and his gym teacher who was the capital B bad teacher mm-hmm. there's conflict between him and his brother and then there's also like Doug versus the expectations of everyone around him on him Mm -hmm. so his so I'm gonna refer to his brother as his brother and then I'm gonna talk about his uh, his eldest brother as Lucas I like the name Lucas it is a good name so before we start the book Lucas has gone to Vietnam and Lucas was a bit of a bad boy he was fairly rough on on Doug in much the same way that like his dad is rough on Doug. You mean abusive? I mean physically abusive. And his brother is also physically abusive. Um, and we learn this in like the first page with this beautiful quote. No. This book is written in an interesting narrative style where it is Doug talking to us. Okay, so again, kind of like Pony Boy. A little bit like Pony Boy. He is just talking, but he's more self-aware that he's talking to you. Okay, so it's interesting. How are things like conversation handled? Is it like, and then my teacher was like this, and I said this. Yeah, I said, he said, I said, he said. Yeah. Um, but like the very first thing he tells you is this story about his hero, uh, Joe Petoni, who is a baseball co- baseball player with the Yankees in the 70s, um, who once came to his school and gave him his baseball house, okay. which was signed. And he tells you, the quote is, the first thing I ever owned that hadn't belonged to some other switch tick before me. What is that? Oh, that's his surname. That's his surname. Okay. So... The first thing that he'd ever owned that hadn't been handed down to him was this baseball house and he hides it from his brother because he loves it so much and his brother eventually like beats him up in order to find out where the hat is and then takes the hat and when talking about this incident what he says is and then my brother pummeled me in places where bruises wouldn't show 
a strategy that might is none of your business he's talking directly to you and then he cuts himself off because he doesn't actually want you to know that information mm-hmm. because and he's like that gives you too much okay so, is um, the no this might be getting ahead of ourselves but do we ever get does it ever zoom out that you know in what context he's telling this story yes because later you meet the dad and you find out more about him but i mean do you find out you know how in in the outsiders pony boy is writing an essay is he like who is he telling it to no he's just like just directly telling you about his day-to-day life as it happens kind of um but he is also like narrating it around himself okay which is really interesting because he also self-repeats quite a lot and he'll do things like because people don't show a lot of care and affection towards him outside of his mother he kind of assumes that even the reader doesn't care about him that much Mm. um and like he'll reference something and say so he references um joe patone's hat later in that chapter and because he's packing up he's packing up the house to move and his dad gives him a box to pack up all of his things. And the new house is going to be smaller than their current house. So he's like, get rid of anything you don't really need. And he's like, well, the only thing that like I really love is Joe Patone's house. And I don't have that anymore. Which you would remember if you cared. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so, bad, bad history there. Yeah. And like, he does that a lot where he'll tell you something. And then later he'll be like, if you remember... Uh, or and then as the book progresses and he becomes kind of like happier Mm -hmm. he does get happier um and has more people in his corner he'll be like he'll say something something happy will happen Mm -hmm. something good will happen to him and he'll be like as you know okay good 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 that's better that's a better attitude to have which is really nice so and he actually actually now i think about it he does know that he you are reading his book Mm -hmm. because he one time refers to you as the reader and he says reader i kissed her oh a jane eyre reference (laughs) oh very nice because that reader but um because he reads jane eyre oh okay okay (laughs) <laughs> let's get it was important characters family other you say he doesn't have many people or anyone in his corner at the start of the book is there anyone else significant at the start of this book so when we start the book that's basically all he has he has okay. his 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 mom his dad his brother lucas who's in vietnam the one of the other people that cause conflict in his life is this guy called um, Ernie Echo, who is an old friend of his dad's, who appears to have like not been in his life for a while and now has come back. And Ernie has set his dad up with this new job upstate where they're moving because he's gotten let go from his current job for punching his boss. That'll do it. That'll do it. Will do it. What was his job? Uh, He does manual labor in a factory. Okay. Doug's dad is a bad person. He's a bad person and he is also feels like the world owes him more than he has gotten. Oh, that's that's a really bad attitude to carry with you. It'll yeah. it'll curdle your soul. In the moving scene, we get like this beautiful I'm going to come less out of detail mm-hmm, very cute. soon, but I really want to talk about his mom just right here and how much she's just a really soft, caring person. And she is doing her best in hard circumstances. She doesn't want to move. 
um, and she doesn't get any choice. She doesn't even get like any say in the matter because literally the father comes home and is like, I lost my job. Ernie has got me a new one. We're moving next week. Yikes. Yeah. Partnership, eh? Um, But one of the things she does is when they finish packing up, she goes to the garden and she digs up her plants and moves them into new pots in order to transport them upstate. And Ernie, who they're, whose truck they're using, is like, you're not putting those dirty dirt plants in my truck. There isn't room in any way. I don't want the dirt to spill. Mm. And so she carries the pots to her neighbors and she like delivers one pot to each neighbor and Doug tries to help her and his dad is like, if she wants to do it, she can do it on her own. And so Doug just stands there and watches this happen. I love her very much already. That's, I care a lot about plants, so I empathize. And flowers play quite a role in symbolism later in the book as well. Yeah. When they move to the new place. You have questions? No, it's just, I was going to say, so at the start of the book, there's only Doug, Doug's family, and this Ernie guy. But of course, if he's moving... There's going to be a whole cast of new people he meets. Yeah, he meets new people. They move to upstate New York, which is a bit more rural than they currently are. They move to a place called Marysville. Um, and when they get there, Doug meets this go- girl called Lil, which is short for Lily, which is short for Lillian. Which is a flower name. It is a flower name. But she goes by Lil and she is, she's very smart and she's quite funny and she is kind. I would describe her as kind over just about anything else. She's and is she 14? She's also 14. Yeah, it is. That is an unusual trait for 14. Yeah. So when they meet, he's after like getting out of the house for a couple of hours and he's just strolling around town hating it. He hates everything about the town. He hates... And when he meets her, she's locking her bike up to a railing and she has a pink chain and he hates that she has a pink chain and she's locking it up outside the library and he's like, are you locking that up because I'm here? Like he's some tough guy. And she's just like, should I be locking it up because you're here? Um, And he's like, no. And anyway, if I wanted your bike, which I don't want because it's a stupid girl's bike, a stupid pink chain wouldn't stop me getting it anyway. And she's just like, fine like i know this boy has been hidden enough in his life and i i don't condone violence at all but when he's like a stupid pink chain won't stop me i kind of want her to be like it's a heavy fucking stupid pink chain though he is self-aware though yeah and when he does when he talks to people with that like uh blech, attitude he's he's self-aware and he's like i sound like lucas Okay. And he's like, I don't want to sound like Lucas. I want to sound like a nicer person. I want to be more patient. I want to have, I just, I want to be nicer. Mm -hmm. But he is aware that his kind of base default is to be a bit of a bully. Okay. So that's Lil. Her dad owns the grocer store, Spicer's Deli. Mm -hmm. And in an amazing act that only a 14 year old would think of this, she gets Doug a job as a delivery boy in the deli on like their second meeting. I love that. Does he express an interest in wanting a job? No. <laughs> She's like, you make fun of my bike? I've gotten you gainful employment. So so the first time they meet and he makes fun of her bike is a Saturday. 
And then she's like, I'm going into the library and she goes in and then he goes into the library and upstairs in the library is a very important book, which is the John James Auburn's Birds of America, which is a book of paintings of American birds. Mm -hmm. And it is very famous at the point of, at the point in which the book takes place, it's over a hundred years old. So it's 150 years old now, nearly. And there are very few complete sets of this book in existence because it's a very expensive book and people really want John James Auburn's paintings. So they remove pages of it and sell individual pages of the book as like portraits of birds. Okay. So many existing copies are quite damaged. Yes. So was it a very limited print of these books then? I actually don't know the complete print, but I do know that this town in which the book is set, their historical society has a complete set where none of pages have been removed. But the library also has a volume of the books. They have volume three. And pages have been removed from that because the city owns... The library has the book, but the city owns the book and the city sells pages of it as needs be in order to pay for other things, such as fixing the roads. At one point, there is a very bad snowstorm and in order to salt the roads, they sell one of the, the pages So from is the this book. like an original, like first edition or something? It like, is, yes. Okay. Um... It makes me a bit sad as a person who values libraries, particularly in rural and isolated communities, that they're just selling the information they have. But I guess it reflects a sad reality. Um, you who loves libraries even more than me. It makes me very sad. It also makes the Wait. librarian in this book very sad. So you said you cried about this book and I was like, wow, maybe some really bad things happened to this kid. But was it just because of what they do to the books? No, it is not just because of what they do to the books. This book didn't make me cry. This book made me take stock. At one point, we were supposed to... Dear listener, Aoife and I were, were scheduled to record this, this episode a full week ago and I had to text her two days before the recording and be like, I am not emotionally prepared to discuss this book yet. So, so the discussion that they have about it is how does Doug find out about this book on kind of that Saturday when he meets Lil? So Doug finds the book the first Saturday with Lil and he goes upstairs. So downstairs in this building is like a full library as we know it with like a fiction section and a nonfiction section. And then upstairs, upstairs, there's like an events room. Mm -hmm. And in the events room, there is under a glass cabinet this book john james auburn birds of america mm. um, and my library down home has a similar area and what we have in it is some things that used to belong to sean Diermida, one of the signatories of the 1916 rising declaration who was somewhat local so we have got like his suitcase <laughs> and his like hat and his... So we have things belonging to this guy <laughs> i know and i'm like this is this is where the saints happen. This is how shrines develop. 
it's, it's it's kind of wild. It's nice though. Um, so in in the glass cabinet there is the book, the and Mr. Powell, who is the librarian, like turns a page every week so that people can look at like the next picture essentially. Mm-hmm. So our boy Doug who is in a bratty mood because he didn't want to move and he just had like a weird encounter with a girl downstairs, goes up and he finds this book and he sees it and his reaction is akin having seen God. Okay, and this is just one page. This is just one page. So like his eyes are burned out, like he's filled with mortal terror and he's not going to be able to like ever adjust back to living life as a normal person, that kind of thing. And he's really afraid, right? So he says of the book, underneath the glass was this book, a huge book, a huge, huge book. Its pages were longer than a good sized baseball bat. I'm not lying. And on the whole page was only one picture of a bird. I couldn't take my eyes off it. He was all alone and he looked like he was falling out of the sky into this cold green sea. His wings were back, his tail feathers were back, and his neck was pulled around as if he was trying to turn but couldn't. His eyes were round and bright and afraid and his beak was open a little bit, probably because he was trying to suck in some air before he crashed into the water. The sky around him was dark, like the air was too heavy to fly in. The bird was falling and there wasn't a single thing in the world that cared at all. It was the most terrifying picture I had ever seen, the most beautiful. Very well written book you've got there. Also, wow, I, I can see how it's really hitting him. Oh, Kira, show me an illustration. Yeah, this boy's getting a lot more from this image than it's like giving me. A choice that the author and the editors made was that each chapter is titled for one of, for one of the birds of the book. So chapter one is Arctic Tern and it also has the picture of the Arctic Tern. So while we get very detailed descriptions of each of the each of the paintings as they hit as they come we also have like an actual visual reference that we can look back and see the picture that he is talking about that's a very good choice i'd say yeah especially because like the target age for this book was like 14 to 16 year olds and even I reading the descriptions, which are extremely detailed, I was like, I don't fully... What do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah. Um, and like the beauty of it. So... And like every, every chapter has a new bird in it and each bird gets an equally beautiful description, except for the puffins, which he doesn't like. He thinks the puffins look stupid. Oh, my housemates would not be happy with that. <laughs> this is the thing though. His initial reaction to the puffins is like, they're so stupid. Why are they just like, they're not moving. They're just standing and they're like, ugh. Like dead, they're not dead because there is a picture later of a bird that is dead. They're they're just kind of like not doing anything. They're just being dumb, and he calls them chumps. Hmm. But um, as he like gets more invested in them, he also like sees like more nuances of like how they're standing and what that means and what they're possibly feeling and things that he is feeling he's putting onto them and by the end he's just like i love the puffins why would anyone think that the puffins are chumps they're the the puffins did you know that when puffins are trying to find a mate they make a sound that is called hurgling that sounds pretty much exactly how you'd imagine that sound to be (laughs) that's actually similar to the mating call of the llama but no yeah kind of like that like 
That's terrifying. Yeah, it's great. They are, they're little portly gentlemen. So yeah, this is also reminding me a little bit of a uh, kind of Aristotle and Dante, like Dante and his birds, because they just soft boys be liking birds. Yeah. Identifying with them. So as he is upstairs looking at this bird, the Arctic Turn, uh, the librarian, Mr. Powell, comes up and is like, what you doing? And not in like a aggressive, like suspicious way, just in a genuine, someone is taking interest in this thing that I love. What are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. can I talk to you about it? I love the librarians in this book. Because you love librarians. Good librarians. Well, there's two librarians and there's Mr. Powell who just like sees good in everything. And there's also Mrs. Miriam, who is is not as open. Um, And we later discover the part of the reason that she is not as open is because she is waiting her son to come home from Vietnam oh. and she is just very concerned about his well-being um, I would be yeah and she hasn't heard from him in a while and just very worried about him which is also like part of this thing that Doug learns that which a lot of our main characters learn which is that people are more complex than they first seem and that everyone has something going on in the background true um but Mr. Powell is like, this kid loves this picture of a bird that he has just seen. You should draw it. And Doug is like, I'm not going to draw. I don't draw. Drawing is for chumps. And Mr. Powell's like, well, what if I give you some paper and a pencil? And he's like, I don't draw. Are you deaf? And like gets drawing. real defensive. And then he leaves. <laughs> drawing is for chumps and puffins. Yeah. Uh, chumps draw. Girls with pink bicycle chains draw. I don't draw. Was he old and deaf? I hate this town. So he is after moving from New York City to (laughs) what? A small town that only has one library kind of thing. Yeah. And so I said earlier on his second meeting with Lil, she offers him a job. Um, The second meeting with Lil comes, that was Saturday, comes Monday. And Doug is sitting outside the library waiting for it to open. And Lil comes along and is like, what are you doing sitting on the steps of the library? And he's like, I'm waiting for it to open. And she's like, it only opens on Saturdays. The library only opens on Saturdays? It's open, open once a week. They do not have good funding. And she's like, it's on the sign right there. You dumbass. The library's only... And he's like, I didn't see the sign. And then she says, can I trust you? And he's like, what? And she's like, if I leave my bike with you, I'll be back in a few minutes. And she comes back with two Cokes um, and tells him that her dad owns the Mm -hmm. grocers. And she gives him one of the Cokes and she teaches him this very, very important life skill, which is how to to drink a really cold Coke. Mm -hmm. And the way you drink a really cold Coke is to basically drink it all in one go. That's not true. (laughs) The the way to drink a really cold Coke is step one, allow it to warm up. Step two, put vodka in it. (laughs) Yeah, but they are 14 and it is like 90 degree summer. Okay. (laughs) You can't just put vodka in everything. I'm not, I don't put vodka in everything. I only put vodka in fizzy drinks because there is no point in drinking a Coke or a Sprite or a 7-Up unless there's alcohol in it. To be fair, that is correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. Um, you too will learn in time, dear listener. You don't have to drink. No one has to drink. But yeah, so they drink this Coke um, and she's like, are you going to keep waiting for the library to open? And he's like, no, I'm not going to keep waiting for the library to open. That's stupid. And she's like, do you want a job? I like Lil. 
I mean, I can also see it from her point of view. It's like, I don't know exactly how small this town is, but clearly there's not much happening. Yeah. Are they on summer holiday? They're currently on summer holiday. Cool. Um, uh, so there's nothing for them to do. And new blood. <laughs> new blood. Um, so she offers him a job and he goes and he talks to her father, Mr. Spicer, about it. And he's like, yeah, I need a delivery boy for Saturday mornings. Um, and it's the only day the library's open. Yeah, but it is literally just the morning. It's like a three hour job. Cool. I don't want him to be kept from this beautiful book any more than he needs um, to be. And he has to he has to do it early in the morning and stuff. Like it's 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 a nice job. He cycles around town essentially with his with his trolley full of groceries and he delivers the things. And the reason why Lil is offering him the job rather than like any of the other kids in this town that could do it is because one of the places they have to go on this route is to Mrs. Windermore's house. And she is an eccentric older lady who scares all of the children in this town. And Lil's logic is, you haven't been here long enough to know how terrifying she is and hear all the the urban legends about this older woman. So you're perfect for the job. She's a savvy young businesswoman, is Lil. Lil is just amazing. I love Wonderful. her. Um, and all of the people that he does, uh, that he meets on his delivery run are characters in themselves. Like there's one older man who keeps, who is a, he, who comes across as a little bit lonely and he keeps making up jobs around the house that need to be done. And I believe that he is making them up because nobody's light bulbs could possibly be, need to be changed once a month. It was the 60s. I don't know how well technology has advanced because I am a 90s baby. Um, and there's also the wife of the police chief who um, has like six kids and they're always just like really rambunctious and joyous and it's very nice. Um, and th- But Miss Windlemore is the most interesting of them, uh, mostly because she is an eccentric older lady who when Doug first goes to her house, he rings the doorbell and he has ice cream for her. He has ice cream for her, which is important because earlier in his in his delivery run, one of the ice creams melted. So he really doesn't want this one to melt because mm-hmm. Mr. Spicer said that he would dock his pay if he would dock his pay the price of the ice cream if he couldn't deliver the ice cream. Mm-hmm. He was like, everyone makes a mistake the first time, but twice and you're in trouble. Okay. Which I think is a fair... That is quite fair, that's yeah. That's a fair business model. First day. First day. And so he rings the doorbell and she basically opens it, says, who is this? And then closes it again. Okay. Um, he's like, listen, you have to, you have to let me in because I have ice cream for you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, ice cream. What kind of ice cream did I order? Lemon. Hmm. Yes, okay. <laughs> oh, she sounds like a pain. Um, deli- bring him to the back door. You're in- interrupting my flow. Creativity is visiting me. She's me. Yeah. And he's just like, what is happening? And so he lets himself in the back door because she has a key under the mat and he puts her groceries away. And then he kind of like tiptoes into her house where she is typing at the keyboard and creativity is sitting at her desk. Creativity is not a real person. Okay. Is it a bird? No, there's just like, <laughs> she she's just like talking about how creativity is with her right now and she cannot be disturbed by delivery boys. I'm And he's like, but you need to pay me. <laughs> Oh, she does need to do that, yeah. <laughs> he's like, she's like, don't be disturbing me. I am in commune with creativity. And he's like, yeah, but you need to pay for the groceries. Yeah. And then, like, hey, people are complex. I'm not just the delivery boy. I also need you to pay me. Yeah. 
a delight. And she is a painful delight. Mm. And like... Much like lemon ice cream. <laughs> yeah. She gets a different type of ice cream every delivery and has various feelings about the ice cream that he brings. And she, at some point he brings like pistachio ice cream and she's like... I don't like pistachio ice cream. And mm. he's just like, well, that's what I brought. And she's like, hmm, fallible. <laughs> so, okay. Like, she ordered it. Yeah. She is bringing what she ordered. Um, I, so it seems like the meat of this boys' week happens on Saturdays. It does. Um, and so that's his basic Saturdays. Doing his delivery run and then going to the library to check out the birds and in a shocking turn of events he does start drawing the birds is that the second visit or the third visit his third visit okay he starts trying to draw them um when he arrives for his second visit mr powell has left out pencils and paper and has also not changed the picture even though he does usually change it every week so that Doug can look at it and give it a go and he does and he discovers that he loves drawing and in the same way that this book has very detailed descriptions of the paintings of birds it also gives very detailed descriptions on how to draw and like composition and things like the bird is standing in such a the the bird is in such a way in the picture which allows you to imagine that the bird is moving moving Mm -hmm. how does the the painter get that across um and things like it's in the it's in the way that the the feathers are drawn so Mm -hmm. how would we draw the feathers in that way and a lot of it is a conversation between doug and mr powell because mr powell is tutoring him in his drawing Mm -hmm. but some of it is is doug trying to figure it out and In that way, earlier, he reflected, he's like, if you've been paying attention, you'd know that about my life. He also, like, does things like that with the drawing where he's like, and then I learned this, which you would also know if you've been paying attention. Okay. (laughs) And it's nice. I kind of, I know it's not the vibe, but the way he's like, if you've been paying attention, just makes me think of, like, a stage magician. A stage magician being like, then is this your card? If you've been watching very closely. If you've been watching my left hand, you won't notice that I stole your watch with my rice. (laughs) Unless you're paying very close attention. Yes. I misdirected. So, is it kind of the start of the summer at the start of this? Like, how much of this routine does he get? He gets about four or five weeks. And what happens with the rest of his time? So the rest of his time is spent kind of at home mm. um, with his mom. The third time he meets Lil, he is digging up the front garden of the new house, which he calls the dump. Um, and he's digging up the front garden so that his mom can start planting flowers. And Lil just arrives with daisies. And he's like, how did you know I needed flowers? And those like, my mom just really loves flowers. <laughs> And she's good at this kind of thing. Okay. So how's his mother and his brother adjusting to the move? Um, his mom is doing okay. And his brother is hanging out with some other kids. His brother is accused of breaking into Mr. Spicer's shop. Oh dear. Um, Mr. Spicer's deli has been broken into and his brother was seen hanging out with a couple of other kids out in front of it. And so the policemen come to their house and are like hey we want to ask some questions i had nothing to do with it this wasn't to do with me and he says he's never been to spicer's deli but doug knows that he saw his brother around there one time because he hid to avoid like meeting yeah um and after this 
before this, he's been doing his delivery runs and everyone's been like nice and friendly with him. They've been giving him a couple of like extra jobs around the house for him to do, which like enables him to earn a bit of money in tips Mm -hmm. because he's earning $5 plus tips and his dad is taking his $5. Oh no, bad. To pay pay his way. He's 14. Um, And his brother doesn't have a job. His brother does not have a job. And so when Doug starts school, some of the teachers have a preconceived idea of him, which is not helped by his Lucas-like attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and he is like a little bit aggressive towards the teachers. And his maths teacher, when she he meets, he's very good at maths, mm-hmm. which we learn. And his maths teacher ignores him um, because they're just assuming that he's he's this out of town kid and his brother is in trouble. So he's clearly going to be trouble. And he says, you could see it in the eyes of Miss Vern in math who couldn't who wouldn't call on me even when I raised my hand. Even when I raised my hand and the other hand up was Lil's and Miss Vern had already called on her twice. When Lil got called on again, she looked back at me and then turned to Miss Vern and said, I think he knows. And Miss Vern's face got all pinchy and she said, I'll choose who to speak in this classroom, Miss Spicer. Then she went on so that no one answered the question. X minus 17, by the way. I love this kid. Yeah, so like, and the English teacher is kind of the same. Do they? Okay, so they definitely aren't mixing up the boys but they probably think that Doug's knowledge of Spicer's Deli like was passed on to his brother to allow his brother to rob the place yeah they think it was kind of like a joint job mostly done by the older brother but they're also just like your older brother is trouble and therefore you are trouble do the Spicers um believe this or do they know Doug was well they haven't fired him okay okay um Doug comes back to the shop and is like, I didn't have anything to do with this. And Mrs. Mr. Spicer is like, okay, yeah. you haven't caused any trouble, but kind of like I'm watching you. Okay. But okay. Okay. Um, well, the much- big change is he no longer, so Miss Windlemore isn't supposed to be allowed a tab because she forgets to pay it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Doug had to, on his first visit, Doug had to make sure she paid in cash, which meant that he also got like a nice tip off of her because mm-hmm. she was like, take the money and you can keep the change. Yeah. Um, but after the break in, Mr. Spicer changes her account so that she is paying, so that she isn't paying in cash anymore. So Doug no longer gets the tip off Miss Whitemore. Ah, and Miss that was his, Wildermore. pretty much his only tip, only regular tip. It was his only regular tip. He does get tips off the others. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, his income source kind of fluctuates with the town's regard of him. Great, love that. Yeah. Um, But he's also being moody in class. He is also being moody in class because... Our boy is hiding a secret and I'll tell you it later because okay. I want to tell you about Mr. Ferris first. Okay. Um, so yeah, most of his teachers are, are not judging him by his own behavior, but his physical science teacher, it's just like physics and biology and chemistry as opposed to home economic science. Okay. His science teacher, Mr. Ferris, holds him back at the end of their first class. And he's like, do you know the basic principle of physical sciences? And and Doug's like, no, <laughs> I don't know what the basics like. No. Yeah. Um, and so Mr. Ferris is like, it means the basic principle of physical science is this. 
Two bodies cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Do you understand that? And Doug's like, I think so? And then Mr. Ferris clarifies, it means, Doug, that in this class, you are not your brother. I like that. And so he gets a, like, a bit of respite in Mr. Ferris's class. And Mr. Ferris is also super, super excited for the moon landing, which is going to happen later in this year. The moon landing is 1969. Yeah, I was going to say, you keep saying it's the 70s, Kira. It's, this is I was not the 10 70s. years earlier than you were telling me it was. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's 1960. I'm, I'm very sorry, listener. Okay, 1969, a great year. Stonewall riots, moon landing, end of the Vietnam War, I believe. Great um, year, great day for the parish. So that kind of like the hope of the moon landing carries through the book as well. I've been talking for a really long time. That's kind of the main setup of the book. We discover that the reason that Doug has been kind of aggressive to his teachers is because Doug has been hiding the secret that he is not actually able to read. So like when he gets called on in class to like read something, he gives attitude back so that like teachers won't call on him. He asks to go to the toilet when he doesn't need to so that he can skip his turn and things like this. And it is discovered that he by Mr. Ferris during a detention that he's gotten from his gym coach. And Mr. Ferris sends him to his English teacher to help her develop a literacy program for adults who cannot read normalizing the fact that some people can't read normalizing the fact that some people can't read and also like giving doug cover for the fact that he can't read so instead of being like you haven't learned the basics of reading we're gonna teach you they're like help us develop a program that teaches that the teaches basic the basic reading. that reading like do you think asking people to sound out <laughs> the letters here would be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and um, this is actually incredibly helpful for Doug. Okay. Um, and his English teacher at, at the start of the year is like, we are going to read an abridged version of Jane Eyre and it's 180 pages long and Doug is like horrified at the idea of reading 180 pages of an abridged version and he discovers that the full version is 400 pages and is like absolutely like mind-blowingly horrified and it is a horrific book but for other reasons yeah and he tells Mr. Powell in one of their drawing things he's like I'm not gonna read it and Mr. Powell's like this is before it becomes clear that he can not read um and mr powell's like oh well maybe i could help you he's like i'm not gonna read it read it that's for chumps i'm not mm. doing it chumps and puffins and chumps girls and with puffins. pink bikes but like also it's super beautiful because miss cowper his english teacher is having them like they're reading it as a class so she reads part of it and then they read like a paragraph each in circles and douglas has been kind of exempt from this because she knows he can't read. because she knows but then she gets him to read the very last the very end of the book and it's just such an empowering moment mm. for doug because he's like i finished it twice already like just on my own like i read the last chapter with miss cowper in their in their literacy units um and so she gets him to finish it out and he's just like i looked at her and i started to sweat and i looked down at the page you know how many words in jane eyre have more syllables than any word has a right to but you know what i got it i really got it and like 
that's an example of where he's talking to us and he's not being aggressive and he's sharing mm-hmm. this really good news and he's mm-hmm. like it's like when a kid comes home and you're like and they're like guess who got 10 out of 10 in their spelling test today and you're like who got 10 out of 10 and they're like i did and you're like oh my god i'm so happy for you but you knew from the start that they were clearly the person who got like the good result yeah and it was just it's just so nice <laughs> that does sound like a really nice engaging <laughs> narrative style it's really nice and it really pulls you in like this boy yeah. is blossoming it's he is blossoming and then almost immediately after this blossoming moment we get this really harrowing moment where we remember that he is living with like in a really unhealthy you environment have, you couldn't have given me like 20 seconds to bask in this beautiful boy no because the book doesn't okay great. so ongoingly he has been having this war of wills with his gym teacher which is how he ended up in detention which is how they found out he didn't that he couldn't read with his gym teacher who has come home from Vietnam himself and is suffering a lot from PTSD. And taking it out on children. And not doing great with children. Mm -hmm. Part of their battle of wills is that Doug wants to be, when they split the class, they split them shirts and skins and Doug very very strongly wants to be on the shirts team at all times because of his secret bruises you see Aoife I also believed that it was because of his secret bruises it's because he's trans no no I I knew it wasn't that one Um, so this this comes to a head during a baseball tournament his gym teacher is like go play with the with the skins and Doug is like but I found this kid who'll swap with me so like the numbers don't matter and his teacher forces his shirt off at which point everyone sees what Doug has been trying to hide all year and this is another example of Doug not telling us information which is everything in the gym stopped But this time, it wasn't because I was mouthing off to Coach Reed. It was because of what they saw. And what they saw, it's not any of your stupid business. So... And then then there's a page break. And then later on, Riddle? He goes to his science class with the saviour of of teachers, Mr. Ferris, Mm. who is trying to settle down his class because they are all discussing what they saw. Mm -hmm. And it has gotten around the school so incredibly quickly. And Doug essentially walks into the room and is like nope can't do this and walks straight back out fair i think (laughs) yeah and mr ferris follows him and doug starts running and mr ferris like runs after him and doug is like trying to get out of the get out of like the main school door and mr ferris is like holding the door shut so he can't leave and doug hits him and mr ferris like holds his hands and is like no you've got to you have got to tell me what's like you cannot push me away i am here i am present and then and then doug tells one of the most horrific stories of child abuse that I have read in a book or this age group. Okay, let's have it. So on Doug's 12th birthday, his father came home very late, missing his party, and his mom was like real upset about it, and he smelt of drink and alcohol, and he'd been out with Ernie Echo, and just was like terrible. And she was like, why did you miss his birthday? You said we were gonna go somewhere, and we were gonna do something, and you didn't, you missed your kid's birthday, and mm-hmm. and so his dad takes Doug, and is like, hey, you know how you've always wanted a tattoo like Lucas, let's, and brings him to his friend's house? where Doug gets an illegal tattoo at 12 years old on his stomach that says mama's baby 
Also, he can't read when he gets this. So they hold up a mirror so that he can see it and show it to him. And then they have to like tell him what it says. And the whole school has now seen it. Like his whole class has now seen it and word has gotten around to the school. So really terrible thing to do to another human person. Yeah. Particularly one who you are like legally and socially responsible for caring for and nurturing. Yeah, and um, and I told Mr. Ferris how they both laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. The funniest thing in the whole stupid world, Mama's baby. How I spent days trying to wash it off and then trying to scratch it off until it bled. How I hadn't gone swimming since then. How I changed for PE in the locker room stalls. Mr. Ferris didn't say anything the whole time. He sat next to me and listened. And when I finished, I looked at him. He was crying. I'm not lying, he was crying. And I don't think it was because of how hard I hit him. I know how the, the black I know how the black back girl feels when he looks up into the sky. And maybe somehow Mr. Ferris does too. And the black back girl is another one of the birds that he's been trying to draw with Mr. Powell. And it's a bird that is centered in a, in the picture. And there is darkness around him and it looks like he is being hunted. Hey, I am really kind of stuck on the horror of this tattooing incident. Because obviously in fiction I've seen a lot of really horrible things happening to children. Uh, you know, a lot of even parental abuse where it's really awful because it, it causes pain. And like it breaches the attachment and it like causes suffering and it it means this kid has no support and all the terrible, terrible things that abuse means. But like, you know, and like, you know, on, on an objective level, like the pain of getting a tattoo isn't that. But the sense of power and control it conveys over this poor boy. And it's... Yeah, it's his body. Doug is powerless in like, can't not go with his dad. When his dad is like, you always always wanted a tattoo like Lucas. Doug feels forced to agree because he's like, I don't know the way that my dad is. I don't know if it would be worse if I disagree. Um, He describes his dad as having quick hands quite a lot. And sometimes when his dad is talking and saying things, Doug will think up a clever retort and then he'll be like, but I didn't say that because dad's hands were looking quick. Like he's looking for an excuse to hit something. Nasty. And that is his home life. Is Lucas in Vietnam when Doug gets the tattoo? I think so. Okay. So like, I, I know he's not around, but like what actually was the relationship there? Like the relationship with Lucas doesn't seem like it was Grace. Okay. Um, Mostly because when Doug behaves in the manners in which Doug is the most ashamed of his own behavior, he compares it to Lucas. Okay. He's like, I have said something that I'm ashamed of. And that was a Lucas thing to say. Um, okay. Particularly when like he back chats to to teachers okay i see i see yeah um but like lucas was violent with him as well i think so his brother his other brother is definitely was violent at this point he's just kind of ignoring him yeah fair um good yeah every little helps every little helps okay how does Doug's social capital in the school it does not do well from this no no um he's not old enough for it to be ironic no um he doesn't do well and he has 
a lot of fights with with other kids um and he keeps score so throughout the book um i am underselling how into baseball this kid is he references baseball a lot at one point he wins a hundred dollars by being really up on his baseball stats he goes to a company picnic with his dad and he takes part in a quiz in which the prize is fifty dollars per teammate teams of two and the person that he teammates with turns out to be the boss of the company and so he doesn't take his prize and gives Doug all 100, which his dad pockets and gets a new van with. Angry. Angry. But so he keeps stats of lots and lots of things. So like he'll walk into the kitchen and he'll give you the stats of what his mom has cooked. Like how many carrots are done, like and things like this. And it's quite endearing. But after this incident in gym class, he starts giving you the stats. Here are the stats from, from the last two weeks of October. Three fights in the downstairs hall, no wins, one loss, two ties. Mr. Ferris stopped them. One fight in Miss in Mr. Elroy's class with barbarian hordes, a tie. Mr. Elroy stopped us. Two fights in the upstairs hall, no win, one loss, one tie. Mr. Ferris stopped us. Two fights in the PE locker room and like so on. And that's just kind of like his life for a while after that. Um... And like one of the stats that he gives there is like 12 near fights, probable record, eight wins, four losses. You don't believe me? So what? So what? Like he's just like, I could have won those fights if we had those fights, perhaps. Fair. Um, you know what? I'm willing to let him have that. Yeah. Um, two threats of school suspension because I was the instigator of the PE locker room fights, according to the so-called gym teacher liar um so like he keeps stats on his life in that Mm -hmm. way which is really interesting and it's also like a nice condensed way of giving us information yeah so i don't want to hear about those 20 fights that he had and lost no he does not win a lot of them he mostly draws if he comes close at all and most of his teachers are like kind of on his side at this point but they are also a number of them are still suspicious his geography teacher has given him a new geography book at the start of the year and is like convinced that he's going to ruin it in some way and like scribble all over it and draw all over it and destroy it in some way and so like doug doesn't even bring it home because he's like if i bring it home i'll get into a fight and it will get damaged in Mm -hmm. the fight um and his teacher like at some point is like oh we need to recover some of the books doug let's recover yours and doug is like he's just making up excuses to inspect my book mm-hmm. and things like this so like even after all of this is known about him like people know that he has this they don't necessarily know this situation around it but the teachers have to know that he has a tattoo that and that he is getting into a lot of fights that he is not necessarily starting with the other students and they're still like he is the cause of the problem i can't see how that could happen though it's not fair but particularly when you're talking about a small town community and these these aren't a family who are from the locality you know they're gonna there's a tendency to give a little bit more credit and leeway to someone if you know who their grandparents are you know they're like oh you know i doubt i doubt he started the fight because i mean sure sure yeah his older brother was a bit rowdy when he was in school but you know he's the police officer now you know 
like people who are embedded in the community get more leeway yeah and also like troubled teens who have been victimized a lot in their lives can also become teens who start fights yeah like this kid hasn't but he um, mounts off so yeah um so one of doug's missions is to get all of the pages that have been removed from the book back into the book how so a lot of them are around town they've been sold to people in the town or gifted to people in the town so he discovers that miss windlemore she has one of them mm-hmm. um a friend of his uh, he does make a friend in school and his dad has one his friend's dad is a violinist and his friend's dad really loves copeland um which he plays for doug when doug goes over to do a school project one time and soon after that he is doing a delivery to miss windlemore and he discovers that she has an original handwritten book by Copeland where he has like written his scores mm-hmm. and she doesn't care for it much. It was her husband's who is now deceased. And he very cheekily is like, if you don't want it, can I have it? This priceless artifact. And she gives it to him because she doesn't like books to go dusty. I kind of really cherish this woman. She reminds me a bit of you. <laughs> So she gives it to him and then Doug brings it to his friend's dad and basically is like, I'll do you a swap. And he does this with a couple of people. His dad's boss, who he won the the quiz with, the yeah. baseball quiz with, he, ha- he has purchased and his purchase of one of the birds is how Doug discovered the birds were being sold. Yeah. Um, he told Doug to call in to get his prize money. But in the meantime, his dad had picked it up. Yeah. And pocketed it. But when Doug is there visiting him, he he is looking at frames for which frame he'll put the bird in. Mm -hmm. He asks Doug's opinion and Doug is straight up like, I think it should be in its book. (laughs) I like him. And, And... the boss is like, oh, why is that? And he's just like, things should be in their proper place. Property is theft. This and, book belongs and to the collector. this guy just rolls it up, hands it to Doug and is like, bring it back to the library. I like this boss man from the, the two or three facts we learned man, about him. I am underselling this man. He is wonderful and he definitely knows that like Doug covers for his dad and is like oh no no I got the hundred I got the hundred pounds and there was also a signed baseball and he's like no no I got that I definitely got that Um, and the boss is just like you did not get those things everyone in this town is so chaotic (laughs) like they're either teachers who are like oh you are you have any genetic similarity with any person who may have done a problematic thing ever blocked (laughs) or they're like eccentrics who have priceless artifacts that they will give over to a uh teenager yeah teenage child um yeah that's kind of like other things happen but for the most part that is the book it's doug dealing with these people to whom he is in conflict and figuring out solutions and while he is doing that he is also on a mission to return all the pages of the book back and he comes up with quite clever ways of doing this so his brother is a second time accused of stealing from a shop the same shop a different shop the hardware store um and this time they have found a pedal from a bike and his bike is missing a pedal and it matches so he's brought to jail and like comes out on bail what age is he um 17ish okay so is he being tried as an adult is my main question i don't know 
Okay. Um, and this causes like further conflict for for Doug because because the town is again judging him by someone else's actions, mm-hmm. even though they now do know him better. And it also it just causes him to like shut down quite a bit. Like he stops going to his literacy lessons he stops participating in his maths class he just kind of shuts down a lot so has he been able to participate in his maths class then since he has. Will broke that seal for him he has good um and also he is very good at maths and his teacher does appreciate that himself lil and a couple of other students are in like an advanced algebra grouping okay um and like he stops doing his homework for that he starts skipping classes he's just like kind of like everyone is treating me like i'm terrible so i might as well just be, be terrible. terrible um but rookie his- mistake prove <laughs> them all wrong his principal calls him in and his principal talks about himself in the third person so i hate him and and he essentially enters a bet with the principal where he is like if i finish school and i don't get into any more trouble you will give the picture of the pelicans that you have back to the library. I love this kid. Yeah. So that's kind of like how he goes. He gets, he, he enters a similar agreement with like Miss Wildenmore where he has been talking to her about Jane Eyre and she becomes inspired by the gods of creativity to write a, p- a Broadway play mm-hmm. around Jane Eyre in which he and Lil managed to get starring roles. In a which, Broadway play. Yeah, which to be honest, I didn't love that sub story, but it was entertaining. Um, and he gets like one back that way. They're teenagers. I know. Let them sleep. And everyone is just like super proud of them in the town because they're representing. Okay. Um, and yeah, his brother comes back from. I'm. Oh, I. Oh, that's so, I, as I said at the start, I was like, I don't want to go into too much detail because so much happens in this book. But I went into way too much detail, and I don't have time to talk about it all. His brother Lucas comes back from Vietnam mm-hmm. with both of his legs amputated from the knee and with gauze over his eyes, and they don't think he'll ever be able to see again. And it is at this point that his brother, who has been like an antagonist to him becomes like a fully realized person in his own right and gets a name which is Christopher um and then we get to see like Doug dealing with the trauma of watching his brother's trauma and watching like how his mom copes and his mom is just so happy to have him home and Lucas adjusting to like being a wheelchair user and Christopher supporting him and like lifting him up the stairs every night and his dad being like well I'm not paying for your medical bills and like just is Christopher any nicer to to Doug now yes he is and also he has been like slowly getting nicer as the book progressed it's just that Doug hasn't really been paying attention to him it's amazing how this family has the naming convention of all names that I love the long version (laughs) of and hate the short version of Ultimately, Doug isn't able to get all the paintings together because he gets all the ones that have been in the town back. Okay. But he's not able to get the last one because it was sold to an anonymous um, buyer overseas. But one of the things that Mr. Powell has been getting him to do is draw that particular painting. Mm -hmm. So... 
at the end when there's only one missing. You know what's the wildest thing for me since you brought up the bird thing? What? Five hours ago, I was waiting for the bus and I was like, I want a book where the protagonist's motives are really, really straightforward because they just want birds. They just want to collect birds. And it's like you have to deal with all of the standard things in a plot where there's like, I don't want to get this thing and someone wants to block you and why do you want it? But the very straightforward motivation behind the plot is that this character wants birds. This is exactly the fucking book. You have become obsessed with birds. When I came over to start recording, you were like, Kira, I want pigeons. I want pigeons. They're so cute so they get all the birds together um and he gets the so he gets the last bird he's able to get from his principal and he brings it like straight to mr powell and they put it in the in the book and mr powell is like just one more but i knew we'd never get it an anonymous collector from overseas i shook my head the book will always be missing one bird. Mr. Powell shook his head. Not exactly, he said. That Saturday afternoon, I finished my Arctic turn. He was beautiful. He was diving into the water because there was so much for him to find. The waves rolled all around him and were already starting to break, but he was going to be fine. He had so much to do. He had so much to see. He was going to go wherever he wanted to go and he wasn't alone. You know, if you could see the picture like I saw, there was a whole flock of arctic terns all around him, all flying above the waves. After I finished, Mr. Powell opened Birds of America again. He laid my painting in the place where Auburn's turn was missing. Nothing is ever perfect, he said, but this comes pretty close. So they complete the book of birds by using the picture that Doug has drawn initially from like tracing over the one that was over there. the one that was there and then like working from memory as to how it looked and then learning how to water paint in order to paint it the picture and also that is also the His same bird of it has changed completely yeah it's the same bird that i gave a full a full description of earlier and at the start he was like this bird is like diving and it's deep and it's dark. And now he's like, this painting and picture is just full of hope and life. Mm. And he does that a number of times when he's like drawing the birds. Um, he changes the picture just slightly so that it reflects how he's feeling in that moment and in that time. And at the very end of this, at the start of this book, he was like, I don't want to be in this stupid town. I don't want to be in this stupid place. Everything is the worst. My house is... He, he literally calls the house that they moved to the dump. And he refers to it as the dump for the majority of the book. He doesn't give his brother a name. And then at the end, he's like, I am this bird. Can go anywhere. Be anything. Do anything we want. And he's talking to Lil just after this. And he's like, this is our place. Like... We can do and go anywhere, but we will always come home to this place because this is our home. And it's yeah, just in the space of nine months. I was going to say, how long has he been here? Like they come to this town in August and this is now the end of the school year. So we're talking about May. So in less than a year, he has like this complete turnaround and it's almost entirely because three or four people see him and are like we care about you i'm also crying slightly it is an incredible book 
does his father go to prison or anything? That was what would really round um, this out for me. His father does not go to prison, but it is implied that his father has... The charges against Christopher get dropped on for stealing mm-hmm. and breaking into the hardware store. And it is implied that they are dropped because their father turned Arnie Echo into the police as the person who was actually doing those crimes. Okay. And was he? It is unclear. Okay. So he could have been running these teens around or it could be completely unrelated but he's getting rid of this dude. It Christopher was not the person doing these. Okay. Um, It's just unclear as to whether... Ernie was. Ernie was. It's... It's unclear. Okay. Yeah. It's unclear as to whether it's it's less that it's unclear whether Ernie was involved as to whether the father was also involved. Ah. And okay. letting the kid take the rap and then became guilty about it. G- good. Essentially. Okay. Um if that's the book pretty much wrapped. That's the book have... pretty much wrapped. There's a lot of things I didn't discuss. I would highly recommend everyone read it. Um, And I know that I've recommended every book that I've read so far, but I've read some very good books. (laughs) What would you give it out of 10? Um, I would give it an 8. Okay. I would give it an 8. I'm just trying Um, to introduce a way that you can like rank all of the books that you love. (laughs) You're like, an 8 out of 10. I would give it an 8. I didn't like... The Broadway storyline. I was going to say, highlights, lowlights, sidelights. The Broadway storyline I didn't like mostly just because everything else felt like it could actually be happen it could actually happen in these boys lives in the mm. and then this Everything- one wasn't real this- yeah it was just it, it just came out of left wing it was a fun storyline also broadway is musicals do we know these kids can sing broadway isn't all musicals okay i think mainly but that could yeah. be my skewed um perception. and like part of it is that Miss Wildermore is like a famed playwright and Mm -hmm. so when she's like Skinny Delivery Boy is going to play this part they're kind of like okay Skinny Delivery Boy will play this part but it doesn't entirely like track okay um the highlights were probably I actually really enjoyed a lot of the scenes with um the boss and between the boss and and Doug and also Doug and his teacher Mr. Ferris. Mr. Ferris is wonderful and sweet and is like super super excited about the moon the moon landing and just science in general. Does the moon landing happen during this book? It doesn't but a lot of the the things that have to happen in order for the moon landing to happen do occur over the years. So like they're sending this and that to do exploratory science stuff mm-hmm. in space. Um, and also Mr. Ferris has a tiny rocking horse on his desk called Clarence. And he sets it rocking when he's happy about things. So when kids get the right answer to questions, he sets it rocking and he's talking to them about like space missions and he sets it rocking and it's just very cute. Stim toy, autistic character. Potentially. I like it. But also he he does, yeah, he's just really good. He's very good with Doug. Like he's the person who realizes that Doug can't read, which is like... He's had numerous English teachers who not have not noticed yeah. this. Um, he's also the person who is like, 
this child needs a lot of support in this moment after like the gym incident like the gym teacher doesn't care care um there is yeah so i just really liked mr ferris he was lovely what would be your weird little side light i think it was clarence the horse clarence the horse yeah. the rocking the horse. little rocking horse because it was just it was just a nice thing it was another one of those narrative tools that let you know that doug was feeling good about something because something would happen in Mr. Ferris's class and he'd be like, and Clarence was rocking. I can't tell you how fast Clarence was rocking or you should have seen Clarence going. And it's just a nice little like narrative tool that I really enjoyed. Um, I just, the writing of this book, like the writing style was nearly more interesting or as interesting than the narrative itself. Okay. And it was just really, really nice. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's kind of... Uh, that was okay for now. So yeah, I've been Aoife. And I've been Kira. And we've been Forever Young Adult. Please catch us on Twitter at ForeverYAPod. We'll talk to you again. Woo! See you next week. Bye! Thank